You know, I want to say just a word about the relief effort that's going on in North Alabama. S.L. and Joanne Williamson and Jim and Judy Parker spent a week up there. They just got back, and it profoundly affected them as they saw the devastation and the hurt and, the whole, and uh, just a tremendous need, just a tremendous need. And they, they took pictures and stuff, and we're going to continue. Uh, the last two Sundays, just on the spur of the moment, you've given over $6,000 for the tornado relief. Praise God. Thank you. And we're using that to invest. And I'm telling you, and you can give today at the end of the service, and all the money that you give that says for tornado relief will go. We'll have another group probably going uh, uh, about the middle of May. But, you know, I, I'm going to tell you something. Baptists don't do everything right, but they do some things right. And, and I want you to know that... Uh, 41 of the 67 counties in Alabama have been declared disaster areas. Now, you think about that. Over, way over half have been declared disaster areas. Alabama Baptists are at work in 29 associations with the d disaster relief. So we're in 29 different areas with disaster reliefs. There are 15 on-site command centers, including coordination and housing. There are seven feeding units, two child care units, and there are literally thousands of volunteers uh, from Alabama Baptist all over North Alabama. They're doing a great work, a great work. They're organized to do it. This is what they do. Now, somebody pushed the wrong button was what it was. And all they got to do is push the button back. I told you, see there. Let there be light. Thank God for that. That helps. I never will forget when we had a, a thunderstorm in, uh, when I was at Cottage Hill and I had to preach in the dark. Some of you say you do that all the time. That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> but I am thankful for all that is being done to help these people. And we're going to keep praying for them and we're going to keep giving and we're going to keep ministering and we've invested thousands of dollars already uh, in that cause. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm just going to use one verse. I, I would just encourage you, if you want to turn, but I'm going to read one verse there to Amos chapter uh, 4, verse 2. Amos, th this has just kind of been on my heart. I've been struggling, you know, Lord, is this the, the, the time? Is this the right word for the situation and we're in? And I'm convinced absolutely that this is God's word for us today. Amos chapter 4, verse 12. You know, our thoughts, our prayers, and our help have gone out to the people in North Alabama. They've experienced death. 238 people died. Think of all the families that were touched by that. Destruction, devastation, beyond our understanding, unless you could just go walk and talk to the people and see. But you know, not only have we had this tremendous 98 tornadoes in the month of April in Alabama, more than we ever had in one, in one year. But not only that, the devastation, but now the flooding along the Mississippi River is the highest in 70 years. Millions of acres of farmlands have been flooded. And I'm telling you, thousands of lives are being affected by the flood as it comes down and, and, and in Vicksburg and Natchez and on down to Baton Rouge. I'm telling you, t hundreds of thousands Thousands of lives and livelihoods have been touched by this flood. So the tornadoes and, 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 and the floods. And then 
I heard on the news that they're having such a great drought in the Midwest. And especially I noticed they said that since January, they've had one inch of rain in Lubbock, Texas. And I lived there for a short while. It's so bad that the farmers are having to sell off their herds because they have no water, they have no food. And so herds that have been in their families for a lifetime are being sold because there's no way that they can feed them. And so instead of just losing them, they're selling them off. And you know, it seems like there's just one catastrophe after another. And we find ourselves asking the question, millions of lives have been affected. We we just ask ourselves, well, what's going on, really? I mean, what is all of this about? And I'm certainly not going to try to go into all the theological implications of what you might think about it, but I'm going to tell you there is a message. There is a message that is coming clear and strong that we need to hear. You know, 238 people died in Alabama. That's just a number. But the press register did something right for one time. Last week, they printed in the paper the names of all 238 people that died. And not only did that, but they printed a little brief brief biography on every one of those 238 people. I felt impressed just to begin reading. And I said, you know, these are real people. As I read a little bit about them. They had real lives. They had their own story. But just like that, they went into eternity. Man, as I read about 150 of them, they were young and they were old. Different counties all across the state. But I found myself looking. Is there a word here about, you know, I said, well, I wonder if they knew the Lord. I hope every one of them was saved. I hope every one of those 238 that went into eternity had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But I just kept looking just to get some, and, and it said about one lady, man, she loved her church. One lady had written in her diary just about a week before, you know, I'm a work in process. process. God is at work in my life. It mentioned that one couple was kneeling and praying when the tornado hit their house and the wife was taken and the husband was spared. So, I, I, you know, to me, the burden that I had, I grieved for these people and their families that died. But folks, I'm going to tell you something. The most important thing is where are they now? I mean, where are they now? Death is not the end. It's an open door into eternity. And it seemed like the message that God was saying to me and all that's going on around and going on in America and going on in these tragedies is that, you know, here's the situation. We have to be prepared to meet God. We never know. And at the end of the service, I'll share with you something that will just happen today that will nail this home in your heart. But it seemed like God said to me, I wonder if every one of those 238 were prepared to meet God. When you hear the sound of the tornado, it's kind of late. When the devastation has come. And so this morning, I just want to speak to you on prepare to meet God now. And and, and the Bible is so clear about that. In Amos chapter 4, verse 12, he says, prepare to meet your God O Israel. And you know, every one of us have got to prepare. And you know, you say, well, I'm saved. Well, you still have to prepare to meet the Lord every day. So let's just ask God to speak to us about this matter of preparing 
to meet God? I'm going to answer three questions right from the Word of God. Prepare to meet God. Why? Why do we have to prepare to meet God? Why? Why can't we just go meet Him as we are? We are born into this world. Why can't we just live, one day die, and go meet God? Why do we have to prepare to meet God? Then the second question that I want to answer is, prepare to meet God how? Well, how do you prepare to meet Him? You'd probably get as about as many answers as people you ask on the question on how you prepare to meet God. But then the third question I want to answer, ask and answer is this, prepare to meet God when? Why, how, and when do you have to prepare to meet God? I hope every one of those people that lost their lives in North Alabama were prepared and are now spending a glorious eternity in the presence of Jesus. Now, I want to say this to you. The Bible is unmistakably clear that we will meet God. I mean, it is not something you can debate it if you want to, but I'm telling you, if you believe the Bible and it is the authority for what we believe and practice, and it is, then it makes absolutely clear that we're going to meet God. You know, it, 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 over in Hebrews chapter 9, it makes clear the fact that, that we're going uh, gonna to meet God. And, and, and we've heard this verse so many times, but I just want to read it to you. In the ninth chapter of Hebrews, and I want you just to listen to what it says. It says, in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed for men to die once. But after that, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To, and to those who look for him, the, the, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time without sin unto salvation. So you notice it says here, we will meet God. It is appointed unto men to die once, but after that, the judgment. So we're going to meet God. There's another verse in Romans 14, verse 11 and 12. I want you to listen to this. As it is written, now notice we're going to meet God. Every one of those people who went out into eternity, they've met God. And notice what it says in Romans chapter 14, verse 11 and 12. As it is written, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Did you hear what that said? Every knee's going to bow. And every tongue will confess. And each one of us will give an account of himself to God. So you, you can debate whether or not you go meet God. But I'm going to tell you, it's a settled issue. You know, why in the world did God put Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 and 12 in the Bible? Because we've we got to prepare to meet God. We're going to meet Him. You know what it says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, uh, 11 and 12? I saw a great white throne and Him that sat upon it, from whose face heaven and earth fled away, and there was no place found from them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and men were judged according to what was written in the books. Friend, listen. Unmistakably, the Bible says, you will meet God. Now, but we can prepare. 
And the Bible just over and over again tells us how to prepare to meet God. And and let's just talk about why we need to prepare to meet God. And and this is a very, very, a a word that um, is very, very moving. You know why you need to prepare to meet God? Because the Bible uses the word, the Bible says that we're lost. L-O-S-T. Now, lost. Lost. That's a word that strikes an uneasiness in our heart. We hear about a child that is lost and how everybody tries to go find it. And we hear about people that are lost and on a hiking trip or whatever. But you know, Jesus talked about what it was to be lost. He said there were 99 sheep safe in the fold. But there was one lost sheep. And so the shepherd left the 99 and went, and he got the one sheep that was lost, put it on his shoulders, and brought it back. And listen to what he said when he brought it back. He said, and when he came home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep that was lost. He said, I'd say to you likewise, there's joy in heaven over one sinner than repents. Over 99. He said, there's rejoicing in heaven when a lost person comes back to God. Then Jesus didn't stop there. There was a woman who lost a precious coin. She lost a precious coin. And she told all her neighbors, I've lost my coin. And she swept the house. And she moved the furniture. And she found the coin. And listen to what it says. And when she found it, she called her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me. I have found the peace that was lost lost that has an empty sound lost and she goes on and says likewise i tell you there's joy in heaven in the presence of the angels of god over one sinner that repents jesus said it's a tragedy to be lost and then he told about the the story we're most familiar with about the lost son In rebellion, he said to his father, give me my inheritance. And he got his inheritance, and he went off into a far country and wasted his life in riotous living. But the Bible says he came to himself, and he came back to his father. And his father ran and embraced him and received him. What a picture of the heart of God. And listen to what the father said about the son who had been lost but came back. Listen to what he said. For this my son was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and he is found, and they begin to be merry. You say, Brother Fred, what is it to be lost? Let me tell you about it. To be lost is to be lost from the presence of God. Did you know we are created in the image of God? And we were created to have intimate, personal fellowship with God, for God to be our Father, and for us to be His children, and for us to have intimate fellowship with God. Never, God never created us and forgot about us. God never created us he, to, to, to go our own way. God created us to live in His presence and to enjoy His presence. But sin entered to the human race, and the Bible says your sin has separated from you and your God. And when a person is lost, they are lost from the presence of of God. But also when a person's lost, they're lost from God's plan for their life. Did you know every one of you, God has a plan for your life? God has a purpose for your life. Man, it's written in heaven 
and God wants you to live it out on earth. And so do you understand that when you're lost, separated from God because of your sin, you're not only lost from God's presence, you're lost from God's plan. From God's plan and God's purpose for your life. But you know what it means to be lost? Not only to be lost from the presence of the God who created you, not only to be lost for his purpose and plan that he has for your life, but to be lost from his power. You see, the power to be what God wanted you to be, the power to be what God created you to be, comes from fellowship with the living God through his son, Jesus Christ. And the tragedy is when a person is lost, they're lost from the power of God that enables them to be what God wants them to be. You know why you need to prepare to meet God? Because without Jesus Christ, you are lost. You are lost. But you know, the Bible says the second reason we need need to prepare to meet God. You need to know why people need to prepare to meet God. Well, we're lost. But second, the Bible says that we're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. I don't have to tell you that we're sinners by nature. Every one of us in here know how easy it is to sin. I guarantee you when you were growing up, you you know, you, you were born a sinner. I'm telling you, 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 for somebody to say, for your mother say, no, no, you, did, you went and did it right away. You know, there was just something in you that wanted to do what you wanted to do instead of what your mother wanted to do. Wasn't long till you were telling lies. Wasn't long till you were maybe stealing a little piece of candy. Hey, I mean, we were all born sinners. You say, I wasn't. Well, you deceived is all I got to say. And you're not living realistically. We were all born sinners. I tell you, my mother never called me in and said, son, come on in. We've got to have sin practice. I need to teach you how to sin. Whew. She was trying to do everything she could to gear me away from sin. And we're not only sinners by nature, we're sinners by choice. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans 3.10. There's none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Listen to what it says in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Let me tell you one thing. You can debate it all you want to. But I'm telling you, you have to prepare to meet God. You have to do that because you're lost. And you're a sinner by nature and by choice. And Jesus said in John chapter 8, 34, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. What an empty phrase. If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So prepare to meet God. Why? Now here's the second. Prepare to meet God. How? How do you do that? How do you prepare to meet God? I mean, I'll tell you how you don't prepare to meet God. 90% of the people would say, I'll tell you what, God created me and the way I'm going to prepare to meet God is I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to try to do good and love people and help people and be a good husband or a good wife or a good father. I'm going to do everything I can to be a good moral person. And, and, And I'm just hoping that my goodness and my morality and my good works will somehow make me acceptable to God. And I want you to know, Pastor, I'm preparing to meet God because I'm trusting in my good works. 
You're trusting in the wrong thing. You'll never be good enough. Never be good enough. You know what the Bible says about trusting in good works, don't you? That's not how you prepare to meet God. Titus 3, verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. He said, you're not saved by any work of righteousness. He said, it's because of the washing of Jesus washes you with his blood and you become a new creation. Hey, folks, it's not by good works. That's not the way you prepare to meet God. Trust me now, that's not the way. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know the verse that settles it for me? How that no one is ever right with their good works? In Galatians chapter 2 verse 21, it says this. If righteousness comes through the law, and that is good works, keeping the moral law of God. If righteousness comes through the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain you know what that verse says if you could be saved by good works morally doing the best you could then why in the world did Jesus die on the cross he died in vain if your good works could make you acceptable to God so how do you prepare to meet God I'll tell you very quickly number one you've got to admit that you're lost You've got to admit that you're a sinner by nature and by choice. You can deny it, but you're in de- you, the, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is the way of death. So how do you prepare to meet God? You admit, God, I am lost without Christ. God, I am a sinner by nature and by choice. You've got to admit that you're lost. You've got to admit that you're a sinner separated from God. And I will tell you, you've got to recognize that you cannot save yourself you just got to come to the point i'm lost i'm a sinner by nature and by choice i I can't reform i can't turn over a new leaf i have no power to change myself and so you've got to recognize that you can't save yourself so i'm a sinner lord i'm lost and i have no power to save myself or change myself all the good works i could ever do would never make it any way for me to come into your holy presence and if i could by my good works then jesus had no reason to die on the cross now admitting that you're lost and admitting that you're a sinner and admitting the fact that you can't save yourself that's when you do exactly what we've been singing about all morning that's when you embrace the cross that's when I'm lost and I'm a sinner and you embrace the cross and you embrace the cross and that means that everything Jesus Christ did for you everything Jesus Christ did for you on the cross that becomes what you embrace and that becomes the way you prepare to meet God now let me tell you about the cross on the cross Jesus Christ took every sin you would ever commit past present and future he took every sin you would ever commit in his body on that cross, and he died for every one of your sins. So you've got to embrace the cross, and you've got to say, Lord Jesus, what love is that? What love is that? That you would take all of my wickedness and sin, and you would take it in your body, and you would die on the cross, and you would take my sins, and you would pay the price, and you would pay the penalty, and you would make it possible for me to be forgiven. Man, I I love the verses 
in the Bible talking about the cross. Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. Ours, he was bruised for our iniquities. All we like sheep had gone astray, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Think about this. Here's Jesus on the cross, and the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him to be sin for us. In other words, Jesus became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Man, I love it in 1 Peter where it talks about in the first chapter, for you were not redeemed, purchased, and paid for by corruptible things like silver and gold, but you were redeemed from your sins by the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot and blemish. Think about that. He said silver and gold could never purchase your redemption, but you were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot and blemish. So we got to understand we embrace the cross and that there Jesus paid the price for our sins. First Peter 2 says, he who himself bore our sins, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. The best news I've ever heard and will ever hear in my life is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, perfect humanity, the Son of God, perfect deity, willingly, deliberately, and voluntarily went to the cross, and he took every one of your sins and every one of my sins, and he died for our sins. He took our place. He shed his blood. He took our hell. He took our judgment. He took our separation. He took everything that would keep us separated from God. And I'm telling you, he died in your place, and when you come to the cross and you trust Jesus and nothing but Jesus to prepare you to meet God. You have come where God wants you to come. That's why Paul said, I'm going to glory in the cross. And you know, did God accept his sacrifice? That sacrifice Jesus made for you on the cross, taking every one of your sins, shedding his blood, washing your sins away. Did God accept it? Romans chapter 1 says he was declared to be the son of God with power by his resurrection from the dead. You can read other world religions, Buddhism, Mohammedism. You can read all of those and that has nothing to do, has nothing to say about what you do with your sins. It's all about you've got to work your way. It's nothing about forgiveness. It's nothing about atonement. It's nothing about someone coming to save you. It's all about do the best you can, try to please an angry God by your works. I got good news for you, my friend. You could never save yourself, but everything you needed to prepare to meet God. Jesus did for you on the cross and it God accepted it and today through the blood of his cross you can be reconciled to God and you can prepare to meet your God. And that's what really matters. It's not how old you are when you die. It's not how you die. It's not when you die. It is appointed to men to die once. What matters is, are you prepared to meet God? Have you embraced the cross? Are you trusting in Jesus and Jesus only? The Bible says there's repentance toward God. Acts 20, 21, repentance toward God. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then there's faith toward the, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God. I'm a sinner and I'm lost, but I embrace the cross. I believe what Jesus did for me on the cross. Now, here's the last question. Prepare to meet God. Why? Prepare to meet God. How? And prepare to meet God. When? You know what it says in 2 Corinthians? I want you to listen to it. Chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Now I want you to hear me. We then as workers together with him plead with you. 
Do not receive the grace of God in vain. God's grace that sent his son to die for you, don't let it be in vain. He says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. In the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Because now is the day of salvation. I'll tell you when you prepare to meet God, it's right now. Right now. I mean, you prepare now. It doesn't say anything tomorrow, prepare to meet God. When you get over 21, prepare to meet God. When you're married and have your first child, prepare to meet God. No, when you get everything orchestrated in together in your life, which you never will, prepare to meet God. No, the word is always now. It is always now. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And the Bible over and over again talks about the danger of delay. It talks about it over and over again about the danger of delay. You say, Brother Fred, let me ask you a question. Why do I need prepared to meet God now? Because of the brevity of life. You know, life is short. It, it, it's really, really short. And, and you never really know when, how short it is going to be for you. And life is brev- It's very brief. I, I, there's a picture in the scriptures. Uh, it, it talks about uh, life is like a flower that blooms in the morning with all of its beauty. And in the heat of the midday sun, it withers and falls to the ground. I'm going to tell you something. Life is short. Look, I'm 40 years old. Hey, there were a lot of people in, uh, in the t- tornado that were 40 years old. You see, you've got to understand one thing. You never know. See, the truth is life is not only short, but there's an uncertainty to it. There's an uncertainty to life. Now, there's a security in Jesus Christ. If you're God's child through faith in Jesus, there's a security in, in, in Christ that nothing can shake and you're going to live as long as God wants you to live and you're going to honor him. There is a security in Jesus Christ and in him there is certainty now and for eternity. But even as physical life goes, though, as physical life goes, there is an uncertainty now. There is an uncertainty in fact, James says very well, he says, now don't, 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 don't you make big plans. <laughs> he, he, said, he just really said that. He said, James 4.13, come now you who say, today or tomorrow, I'm going to go to such and such a city. I'm going to spend a year there. I'm going to buy and sell, and I'm going to make a profit. Let me tell you what I'm going to do next year or this year. James said, don't you do that. You do not know what will happen tomorrow. You don't know. For what is your life? It's like a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. James is saying, listen, don't you take life for granted. It's short. And in every area of our life, there is an uncertainty. So you've got, you got to prepare to meet God now. That's when you do it. You don't put it off. You don't delay Listen, you, you just don't do that. Because let me tell you, something, tell you something. There's the danger. There's the danger of, of passing opportunity. Maybe God gives you an opportunity and it passes. There's the danger of passing conviction. Maybe the Holy Spirit comes to you and convicts you and draws you, but you just say no later and, and the conviction leaves. And then there's the danger that if God speaks to you and draws you and you say no and no and no, that your heart could become hard. I honestly, 
I, I just would hope and pray and I want to believe and I'm just going to have hope that every person who died in North Alabama had prepared to meet God. Because that's the bottom line. If they were prepared to meet God, they're in a much better place enjoying a glorious and great eternity. And so let me say a word to those of you who are saved. You say, well, Brother Fred, I'll tell you one thing. I have prepared to meet God. I've embraced the cross. Jesus Christ has come to live in me. I'm God's child. I know I'm saved. I'm not trusting in religion. I'm not trusting in good works. I'm not trusting in the church. I'm not trusting in baptism. I'm trusting in Jesus and his sacrifice, his blood alone. I'm trusting the living Christ to come and live in me. I'm telling you I'm prepared to meet God. But I'm going to tell you one other thing now. If you're saved, I want you to listen to me. You prepare to meet God every day by the way you live. There's a verse of Scripture just stuck away in 1 John that says it's important how we live once we get saved. It's really important how, as a believer, we live every day. And listen to this verse in 1 John chapter 2. I think it's down around verse 12. Now, little children, that's an affectionate term for Christians. Little children, abide in Him. Abide in Christ. Let Him be your life. Little children, abide in Him that when He appears, He's coming back. You will not be ashamed before him at his coming. You know, I want to be living whenever God calls me. As I'm, I'm, I'm prepared to meet God. I'm saved. And it's only by the grace of God. I deserve hell, but thank God for the cross. But I, I'm, I'm prepared to meet God. But I'll tell you one thing. Today, I want to live in such a way that if Jesus calls me home, I won't be ashamed when I go to meet him. It's not a matter of being saved. Little children abide in him. That when he appears, when he appears, you will not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now, I got good news. It is God's will for every one of you in this room to be saved. It is God's will for every one of you to be forgiven. It is God's will for every one of you to have eternal life. It is God's will for Jesus Christ to come and live in you and you have an abundant life. I want to tell you when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died for you and he died for every person in this world. And I want you to know it is the will of God that none should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. So you don't have to wonder what God's will is for you. I'm telling you, he died for you and he's, he, his will for you is to be saved and to be prepared to meet him. And all I can say to you is this. Prepare to meet God. Something unusual happened this morning. I didn't know it till I walked up on the stage. Last Sunday morning, where's Brother Ed at? Was it last Sunday? Last Sunday morning, Bruce, was it Bruce? Wayne Hill, Wayne Hill. Last Sunday morning, he stood right here. And he sang that glorious song about the cross. It was a heart song. It lifted every one of us. And he had such a wonderful voice. And it lifted us all to God. This morning, in his kitchen, he went to be with the Lord. You know, can I say something about Wayne? I, I know he wasn't expecting to meet the Lord this morning. We sure weren't expecting him to meet the Lord this morning. But I want to thank God.
I want to praise God. I want to glorify Jesus that Wayne Hill had prepared to meet God. Now, what if that had been you? Now, I'm just being gut level honest with you. What if that had been you? Where would you be right now? What if that had been you in the tornado? Where would you be right now? And if you're saved, would you have been saying, Lord, I've been living for you one day at a time, trusting you by your spirit. I'm not ashamed, Lord. I am so gracious to be in your presence. Folks, listen to me. Don't you prepare for everything else and not prepare to meet God. I'm telling you, God has done everything he can so that you can be ready and you can be right. But whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved.